The Scouted podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues, and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development, and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up and coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com. Hello and welcome back to the Scouted Podcast, powered by data experts Skill Corner. I'm your host, Joe Donahue, and suffice to say, I'm extremely excited about this one. 2024 began with perhaps the most thrilling, engaging AFCON in recent memory. And it is, of course, the Africa Cup of Nations we'll be discussing today. Uh, and alongside me is a man who was stationed in Cote d'Ivoire for the duration. So who better to speak to about this very topic? Uh, I'm delighted to welcome Kweku Afari for his Scouted debut. Broadcaster, podcaster, presenter, Someone I'm so very jealous of, having covered that tournament. Uh, won, of course, by the Ivory Coast in dramatic circumstances. Um, Kweku, I hope you've you've been enjoying some time off since returning to the UK. Um, but if I know this industry, you'll have been right back into the thick of it. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, I keep on saying holiday blues, but I have to keep on reminding people that I wasn't in the Ivory Coast on a holiday. It was a work trip. Um, but definitely a slap back to reality coming to the UK where it's about... I don't know, 20 degrees colder. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was an incredible trip. Um, flew myself out there, worked for a number of outlets. And it was, yeah, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I picked a good AFCON to go to, um, talked to a few journalists who've covered um, a lot of AFCONs, and they're calling it the greatest AFCON of all time, not just because of what happened on the pitch. It was an incredible story. Seeing Ivory Coast win it in their backyard, the first home nation to win AFCON for a very, very long time. Um, but also, it's just the off the field antics and you always get that BAFCON and the overused word is chaos, but it was chaotic and it was just, it was brilliant. And it, it brought everything to the fore in terms of why we love African football, uh, the drama, the emotion, the passion. And yeah, I just feel very, very grateful to, to have gone out there and covered the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it looked, I mean, following you on socials throughout the, the, the tournament throughout January and the beginning of February when uh, AFCON was on, um, it looked like an absolute hoots, like, Obviously, you, as you were saying, you know, it's not holiday blues. You were out there working, but I mean, some excellent experiences. You know, the the atmosphere at some of those games um, just sounded incredible. And that was just coming through on the TV here, uh, never mind actually being there. Um, as you say, you know, Ivory Coast winning it, a host nation winning it, um, sort of in their backyard. Um, and certainly in the circumstances which they did, um, just made for just an excellent tournament. Um you know what? What was it like being in in Abidjan and and, and uh, Cote d'Ivoire? I mean, what was what was the the sort of the, the the atmosphere, the feel like? You know, for 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 a major tournament. Like you mentioned, I was I was stationed in the Abidjan, um, which is the biggest city uh, in the Ivory Coast, and you could just feel that when as soon as you landed, you felt that there was a major tournament. There was there were signs everywhere. You you felt that it was a big occasion, and. You just felt the vibrance of the city. And that's why it was so stark when the Ivory Coast lost um, their final group game 4-0 and looked like they were going out of the tournament when they lost against Equatorial Guinea in the national stadium. Um, because the tournament, home tournaments are never, or tournaments are never the same when the hosts go out. And so the fact that the whole country was behind the team from the knockout stage onwards, um, and I got to experience a home team winning 
And AFCON, the first home team to win AFCON since 2006 when Egypt won it. It was just a magical experience. And the thing about African football as well is that it is tribal in terms of that a lot of people hate watching. If you're a Ghanaian, you don't want Nigeria to win. But when you're actually there, it's not as tribal as club football, especially in Europe in terms of it's visceral, but even when teams lose, you don't get that nastiness. You don't get that 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 prickliness. It's um it's a completely different vibe. And I was lucky enough to be with Ghana fans for the final group game against Mozambique. And despite the fact that Ghana let a two goal lead slip in that one, the fans were still on side, still singing, still dancing. It's just a completely different vibe to when you go and watch football in Europe, where it's a bit more tense and it feels like the stakes are the stakes are high in Afcon, but for some reason in European football, the, the feeling is just a lot different. So being stationed in Abidjan, getting to experience the game with Ivorian fans who are so proud of their team and the journey that they went on. Uh, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And from now on, I'm going to be at all the AFCONs. The next one's in Morocco, 2025. And I'm I'm going to be there um, enjoying it, working and taking in the vibes because there's nothing quite like AFCON. Whether it hits all the right notes like this tournament did, um, it's, a, it's an unforgettable experience. You know, you, you're saying there, obviously, it hits all the right notes. And you, you do get the impression a lot of the time that tournament football... I mean, I think back to sort of the, the first... Uh, World Cup that I can really remember and really you know appreciate what it was like and that was Germany 2006 and that mm. seemed as though it was just like a party atmosphere the entire the entire month there obviously helps that you know when the weather's excellent as well and you know you were talking about 20 it being 20 degrees hotter in in Abidjan um, but I mean I mean this is primarily a scouting recruitment young players podcast but I think we all want to hear about your best anecdotes from from Ivory Coast you know from the from the mixed zones you know players that you spoke to you know journalists that you were sort of rubbing shoulders with um you know the fan parks just the works what what, what was it all like uh, can I can I take you so, somewhere off the pitch and it's uh it might seem a little bit unprofessional but Jibril Cissé is obviously one of the most enigmatic footballers that we've ever seen. We remember his time at Liverpool, the blonde hair. We remember, we just remember how different of a footballer he was. Um, and he is Ivorian by descent, but obviously he chose to play for France. He had a quite a distinguished international career. But seeing Jibril Cissé DJ at after parties was a once in a life <laughs> experience, man. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And being able to talk to him and just kind of, gauge what he's like as a person he's he's unlike anybody you'll ever meet and yeah after the majority of Ivory Coast games there was parties around the city and he would be behind the deck spinning some tunes and so being able to witness that was definitely one of my career highlights um in terms of off the field as well just talking to journalists who have covered loads of AFCONs and 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 having having or taking in their experiences um when it comes to covering AFCONs, if there's a journalist who uh, writes for Le Keep, his name's Herve, who's covered every AFCON in the 21st century. And just hearing about his experiences and and hearing how he compares his AFCON to other AFCONs, it, it was definitely eye-opening for me, who's and I'm quite new in this industry. I've only worked in the industry for three years. And so being able to rub shoulders with journalists who are very, very experienced and well-versed in covering major tournaments was definitely a highlight. And it's, it's given me some transferable skills that I can use for future tournaments. You mentioned... Um, Germany 2006 was the first World Cup that you remember. I'm luckily now, as a result of covering this AFCON, going to cover the Euros in Germany in the summer. And so taking the experiences that I've learned from this AFCON and translating it to other tournaments in the future is definitely a main takeaway that um, I will definitely appreciate from this AFCON tournament. 
Jibril Cissé is spinning the tunes on the decks. That is not something I expected to be saying on the Scouted podcast. But tell you what, it's uh, it's a lovely, lovely little surprise and exactly what I was sort of hoping to hear um, yeah. with the the sort of the, the off-field anecdotes. Um, let's get back to, to being sort of on the field then. And we'll we'll start at the end. Um, Nigeria won, Ivory Coast two uh, in the in the thrilling finale that, that was at the National Stadium. Um, of course, Seb Ale's story from cancer diagnosis to, to AFCON winning goal scorer has deservedly, uh, very deservedly so, stolen headlines in the aftermath. Um, that was just an incredible story. Um, you know, for me as well, it was, you know, that the performance of Brighton's Semon Odingra um, that, that really left an impression, uh, an, an impression in uh, that final. Um, you know, what was what was that like covering, covering a, a, a final of such a major tournament? It was absolutely incredible. And those two players that you mentioned, it, it's important to highlight that they missed the majority of the group stages. And they're a reason why the Ivory Coast didn't look up to scratch in the group that contained Nigeria, Equatorial Guinea and Guinea-Bissau. Um, and the fact that they had those two players for the run-in is a huge reason why they won the tournament. The Dinger, we've seen it on his return to Brighton, how good of a player he is. Um, I'll be surprised if Brighton managed to keep hold of him. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining they're going to cash in on him big in the summer. Um and Sebastian Haller, whose story has been well documented, he's had a tumultuous 18 months. But the fact that he's capped that off by scoring the winner in an AFCON final, he also scored the goal in the semi-final as well, is testament to his resolve as a player and as a human being. And that story, it's almost been overshadowed. I know people talking about it subsequent uh, to the tournament and subsequent to Ivory Coast winning there. But in the lead up to the final, I don't think enough people were talking about it. And that's because Ivory Coast's story was crazy enough with the fact that they sat their manager, Jean-Louis Gasset, after they lost 4-0 in their final group game. The fact that they beat the favourites and holders Senegal in the semi, um, in the uh, round 16 fixture. Their story was so insane that Sebastian Haller's story almost got overshadowed. But the fact that he was the man to secure the trophy and secured the win for the Ivory Coast. It, it was a perfect cap to a perfect story for the Ivory Coast. And and yeah, Adingra is I can't I can't wax lyrical enough about him. He's such a good player. He adds a different dimension to every team he plays for. He's so dynamic. It's a lazy comparison, but when you talk about players who've had this kind of impact or you when you're trying to foreshadow players' trajectory, it, it gives you Sadio Mane vibes. Well, Sadio Mane was was tearing up for Southampton, different positions, different players, but gives you that sense that he can go on to to bigger and better things and compete at the highest level and be one of the stars in the Premier League. I know what you mean. Like I, I wouldn't quite categorize it as lazy because you know there's there's there are some distinctive similarities there you know they're playing for clubs that are probably at the time you know Southampton were on a similar plane to to Brighton maybe Brighton a little bit higher um but yeah they're, they're starting to impact big games um and it's at that age you know you're, you're 22 23 where you are starting to have a real impact on on big fixtures I mean a tournament finale that's that's no coincidence that you know that's where Adungra was able to to shine um, and consistency as well, I think, is a huge thing with with young players and and players when they start to to come of age at a you know Premier League level. Um, because you know coming back as you mentioned to the Premier League straight away, you got two assists in the final in in Ivory Coast and followed that up with two goals on his Premier League return. Um, you know, I mean, if you mentioned that he obviously wasn't available um, or wasn't as available to uh, to his country uh, during the group stage. Obviously, things could have gone very, very different had they, you know, got a point less uh, in that group stage, but ultimately did get through um, as one of the, the best third place teams. You know, how how different could Ivory Coast's tournament have been um, if, if Adingra had been available for the entire duration? 
Um, it would have been very, very different. So Ivory Coast's strength lies in the midfield. Frank Kessie, we don't have to talk about him too much. We know about his exploits. We remember how important he was to, to AC Milan winning Serie A and then how important he was subsequently to to um, Barcelona winning La Liga, uh, Sangare in the midfield, Seca Fafana. These are players that we know well and that's where their strength lies. But going forward, if you look at Ivory Coast. Uh, lineup for the first game. Jeremy Boga started out wide. I think Jeremy Boga is a great player, but I think Adingra is a level above. Jonathan Bamba started out wide as well. Again, a decent enough player playing for Celta Vigo, but he's not of the level of Adingra. And so the fact that they had the ability to bring him in for the knockout phases, you saw the effect he had on his team in almost every knockout game that he played. He's such a good player. And Brighton, they Brighton bled him in well. They do what they normally do. They signed him a, a year earlier. They went on, on loan to a sister club, Union saint Denis in... Um, in Belgium, and then you come back in this season, maybe a slow start to the season, but he's built up pace. And once AFCON injured, he he got himself fully fit and he had a huge effect on this team. And you've seen the effect he's having on Brighton um, on his return to England. So he's just a player that I think the, the sky's the limit for him. And like I said, you would not be surprised to see big teams um, go after him in the summer because he's got such great upside. He's only 22 years old. Um, and when you're having such an effect in the biggest games and you can't get much bigger than an AFCON final, then something tells me that he's he's going right to the very top. Not to not to nick a, a Harry Redknapp phrase when talking about Frank Lampard, but I think he's going right to the very top. <laughs> That's a long time since I've heard that, uh, that analogy, but no, I think you're right. Um, he, he is someone who I think the, the headline numbers are in 13 or roughly around 13, 90 minutes worth of Premier League football. He's got around six goals now, um, which in a debut Premier League campaign is is certainly standout um, and does suggest that, yeah, he is somebody who is, is going to, to go to the very top. I wonder if uh, your, your 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 team, Chelsea, will decide to, to make a move considering the uh, the links with Brighton and, and the news that we've had today with... Um, with their duel going to uh, going to Chelsea uh, in that that new scouting role, but um, yeah, uh, an, an excellent player, uh, an, uh, an excellent tournament, or rather, you know, run in of the tournament, uh, and an excellent return to, to Premier League action. Very much looking forward to watching Adingra more and more in the Premier League with Brighton this season. Um, and you know, moving from from Chelsea to to another team that obviously you have a, a vested interest in, um, Kweku, um was was Ghana's performance at Afcon, mm. maybe a little bit underwhelming um to say the least obviously that that mozambique game not uh not not ideal to say the least um but i want to focus on the positives i want to focus on the on on another premier league player who has been tearing it up recently um and that's mohammed kudus you know that individual performance against egypt uh, in the group stage was i'd say you know one of the individual performances of the tournament of afcon you know without having watched every single minute of every single game um but you know, he is another player with, you know, I, I hate to use the term, but, you know, star quality um, and game-changing ability. I mean, what was what was it like, you know, to watch Ghana firsthand at, at, at an AFCON like, like this? You said you want to focus on the positives. Joe, there's not many, there's not many positives when it comes to Ghana. It was a, it was a terrible tournament from start to finish, where you talk about the media's relationship with the team, the media's relationship with the manager, Chris Hewton. It, it, the writing was on the wall straight away. Um and they started off the tournament in poor fashion, losing against Cape Verde, a last-minute goal they conceded. And when you start off a tournament with a loss, you're always on the back foot. They went into that Egypt game with Kudus half fit, and it was one of the greatest individual performances of the tournament. Scored two goals, two really good goals. Um, 
But in a game that Mo Salah goes off injured in the first half and your star man scores two goals and you still don't manage to win, the, like I said, the writing's on the wall and Ghana capitulated in their final group game against Mozambique. But focusing on the few positives, Mohamed Kudus is a star man. And I, I made a few videos whilst I was out there saying that when Mo Salah eventually does hit the back end of his prime or past his prime. I think Mohamed Kudus is primed to be the, the best African footballer in the world. Um, he's just got a bit of everything. And like you touched on, he's got the star quality as well. You see the celebration, you see the way that he takes it upon himself to be the fulcrum of that team. He doesn't necessarily have a set position. You see him dropping deeper, playing in the number eight position, which he did at the World Cup for Ghana, specifically against in the game against Portugal. You see him playing out wide. You see him playing centrally up top. He can do a bit of everything. He's got an eye for goal. Um, it's just a shame that Ghana couldn't make the most of one of the best players in the tournament. Because like I say, when you score a brace in a game against Egypt and you still don't win it, then then I don't know what you can do. Um, from Mohamed Kudu's point of view, he knows that he's going to be central to anything good that Ghana do going forward. Ghana are in a bit of a bit of a bit of a lull when it comes to producing star players, and there may be a, a side that has to lean on the diaspora, maybe trying to convince some players like Callum hudson Doyle to come and play for Ghana or Eddie Nketiah. But when it comes to players that were born in Ghana, there's no better than Mohamed Kudu. So he's one of the best players that Ghana have ever produced. Um, and you just see it both at, at club and country level. He's he's a player that that has so many attributes that translates to English football. And there's no wonder there was a host of clubs after him in the summer. And it was a surprise that West Ham secured his services. I remember Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United all being linked with Mohamed Kudus. And as a Chelsea fan, I'm disappointed that we didn't secure his services. Um, but West Ham was the right move for him at the time. And you expect him to go on to bigger and better things because he's a player that just has so much quality. He is someone who you can see, you know, I, I hate to use the term step, stepping stone because, you know, West Ham in their own right are a, are a big club and, you know, have, have established themselves as being, you know, um, uh, a real stalwart of Premier League football. But with this is, you know, a player of star, star quality that, that we're talking about. And um, Kudus has shown that, you know, he's he, he is, for want of a better phrase, using, you know, West Ham as, as a platform because at 23, as you say, you know, one of the best individual performances in, in terms of a 90 minutes at uh, AFCON, um, we've seen what he's been able to do in the Premier League. We've seen what he was able to do at Ajax. Um, and again, you know, you were talking about the writing being on the wall for, for Ghana's tournament. I think the writing's on the wall for, for Kudus's career. And I wouldn't say that you're, you're too far off with that that, um, that prediction that, you know, when, when Mohamed Salah's time, you know, comes to an end in terms of being at the very top uh, of his game, then Kudus is, well, I mean, he'll be coming into his prime at, at that point which is a scary proposition for opposition teams because, you know, at 23, he, he already looks like something very close to a finished article. Um, I think, yes, if he's able to add a little bit more consistency to his game in terms of, you know, hitting the back of the net one, um, once every, you know, three or three to five games, as opposed to once every one in 10 or one in eight, then that's a there's a real, real proposition on, on West Ham's hands there and, and how they try to, I don't know, navigate keeping him at the London Stadium because... As you say, you know, the, the, those those bigger, richer, more well endowed financially uh, clubs, they, I mean, that the, they're all cottoned on to to, to what Kudus is, is about. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer, particularly if West Ham miss out on European football, um, because I, I imagine that that was a big selling point. You know, being able to showcase his ability um, in in the Europa League and 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 you know further afield. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, it's it's disappointing to see that 
you know, players like that don't get to make it to the latter stages of a tournament as prestigious as AFCON. But again, being 23 years old, um, you know, having the ability or the possibility to, to sort of lean on that, that Ghanaian diaspora uh, in future, I mean, starting from scratch effectively, given that, that Hewton is now gone and, you know, having to sort of lick the wounds of a very, very disappointing AFCON performance, it, there is at least the hope uh, or at least I hope this is shared by you, the hope that, you know, there there, there can be a team built around Kudus at, at international level. Um, because, I mean, you know, you look at the the links that, that Ghanaian football has and, you know, the Right to Dream Academy, um, you know, the the integration with uh, FC Nordjylland and some of the players that have come through. I mean, you look at the, I mean, the likes of Ibrahim Osman going to mm-hmm. to Brighton very recently. You know, he's a player with, with lots and lots of potential. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of other Ghanaian players that if they can be sort of corralled into a functioning unit, then can rightly be one of the best teams in Africa again. But again, not too many positives to discuss at the moment. So I think we'll leave the, the Ghana chat at Mohamed Kudus. Um, you were talking about uh, how Senegal were obviously the holders prior to this tournament, how they were the favourites. How did you assess their tournament in, in general? Because there's this always seems to be that little that, that curse, doesn't there? That you you're successful one year and then two years later, you just you don't show up on, on the on the big stage. Well, this tournament showed you that the the quarterfinals had eight completely different teams to the teams that made the quarterfinals two years prior. Afcon is so unpredictable, and the one thing that you don't want going into an Afcon tournament is the tag of favourites, and that's what Senegal had from the beginning until when they they exited the tournament at the round of sixteen stage. Um, in the group stage, they're the only team that had 100% record. They won all three of their group games pretty comfortably, um, kicked off the tournament in impressive fashion with a 3-0 against Gambia, um, and then had a tough game against Cameroon, but again, saw them off pretty seamlessly winning 3-1, and then the last game against Guinea was a, was a formality, winning that game 2-0. They went to the round 16 uh, tie against, Sen- against Ivory Coast as clear, clear favourites, but AFCON just AFCON in that game. And I can't really explain to you what happened, um, Senegal took a very, very early lead and you were uh, expecting them to just run home as easy winners. But the fact that Ivory Coast got back into the game with a last-minute equaliser and then went on to win on penalties just tells you everything you need to know about the unpredictability of AFCON. As for Senegal, I don't know what they can read into it. Obviously, Aliou Cissé is a, is a considered manager. If you juxtapose that to some of his his counterparts when it comes to African football, like uh, an extrovert like Rigobert Song or, or other African managers... Ali Usisa is relatively diminutive in, when, in his personality and the way that he he delivers messages not only to his players but to his to his uh, to the media. Um, but I don't know what he could correct. I just think that he he came up against an Ivory Coast side that had a date with destiny and there was nothing that was going to stop them. Um, they did look like the best team in the tournament until they went out. Maybe they could have um, used some of their attacking players. Um, in a more, I don't know, in a more considered way. He, he He's very much a manager that when it comes to his starting 11, when he's got a settled 11, he's going to stick with it. And maybe players like Nicholas Jackson could have played a bigger part in the tournament or could have come on a little bit earlier in the round of 16 game against the Ivory Coast. But I think Senegal, they, they can't reflect on this tournament and say they played poorly. They just came up against the Ivory Coast side that just had the, the weight of a nation behind them. And it's just it was just difficult for Senegal to combat that. Um, they had some of the most impressive performers at the tournament, when people ask me who impressed you the most, and again, it's a shame that we didn't get to see him more, but Lamine Kamara is a special, special player. We talk about 
I think we're going to right to the very top. I don't know if I can I can stamp that guarantee on Lamine Kamara, but in terms of players that impressed me, he was great, man. Um, unfortunately, he was rested for their final group game, so I only got to see him in two games. But in their first game against Gambia, some of the things that he was pulling off, some of the, the touches, the goal he scored was one of the goals of the tournament, if not the goal of the tournament. Um, he's a player that big teams will be looking at. Obviously, he's playing for Mets in the league arm right now, and they're a big team in their own right. But you can expect in the summer, if he continues on his trajectory, that some top, top clubs in Europe will be looking at him because he's a man that could do a bit of everything. And he's a man that... Senegal are hoping carries the the baton from Sadio Mane, who eventually will have to retire from international football. I know that he still showed flashes of brilliance at the tournament, but they're definitely um, looking at um, Lamine Kamara as somebody that can carry that mantle because he's a player that has so much quality. It, it felt a bit like this tournament was the sort of the the the, the dawning of a next generation, really, because. Obviously, we've talked about Mohamed Salah and, and Sadio Mane. You know, they're both into their 30s now. They are, you know, they're, they're going down the hill rather than, than up the hill. Um, and again, that's not to, to, to say that their ability has waned substantially because uh, they're still excellent world-beating players. But it, it did, and I know what you mean, it did feel as though that there was, I don't know, uh, yeah, like, like a dawning of that next generation. And I'm so pleased that you you sort of singled out Lamine Kamara because he was the, the one to watch for, for Senegal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and obviously we're discussing Sadio Mane. It's only right that we shine a light on, on Generation Foot, the, obviously the, the team in Senegal that has produced what feels like half an international team. Um, obviously, there's that, that pipeline that they have um, from, from Generation Foot to, to Metz in France is one which was trodden by the likes of, of Sadio Mane, obviously was trodden by Lamine Kamara uh, and also Papi Matissar, who, of mm -hmm. course, is at Spurs now as well and, you know, doing very, very good things there. I think, you know, Kamara is such a versatile, such an interesting, um, diverse profile of player. Uh, you know, just draws fouls, recovers the ball. I think his distribution as well really goes under the radar, you know, while his, his, his passing on the whole might not be the cleanest, his long his, his like ability to switch the play, his ability to to pick a pass uh, with a diagonal is is really second to none, especially um, from what I saw of Afcon anyway. Um, but he's he's just such a lovely, active, two way midfield player. You know, I I genuinely think he's at, at a certain level, maybe not Premier League level yet, but at a certain level, he's he's versatile enough to play six, to play eight. To play ten, um, and yeah, I think certainly the, the future is is very much in good hands if you consider that you've got two midfield players of slightly differing skill sets in in Papimatissar and Lamine Kamara to sort of lock down that that Senegalese midfield because I mean, <laughs> football matches are won in in the middle, and I tell you what, having those two at your at your back is um is is certainly very very handy. So I mean, at twenty years old. It'll be interesting to see what the next few years holds for for Kamara because I mean, yeah, he could he could go. I mean, he could explode if if a, if a big team comes in, takes him, gives him a a really prominent role. Yeah, I think he has the the physical attributes to really really to really shine. One hundred percent. And you talked about physical attributes, and that's what I was paying close attention because we know about his physicality, but it was the technical ability that really surprised me. He, he, yeah, he was best young player at the tournament. And like I said, it was such a shame that we didn't get to see more of him. Um, and I love the fact you shouted out Generation Foot because the players that they've produced, if you talk about Sadio Mane, um, Papa Mathesai, you discussed already, Ishmael Asar as well, um, they, 
it's the pipeline is incredible, and the link they have with Mets, Papi Cisse from from back in the day. Um, and so that the fact that there's that pipeline, and and you know that Senegal Senegalese football is in is, is in safe hands as a result of that link is is incredible. But to to Lamine Kamara, man, he's a he's a player that I'm just excited to see where he goes next. Whether that's a move in this summer or some move next summer, he's a player that has so many attributes that. Again, we're biased or I'm biased. I watch more Premier League football than the other football. But I think there's certain Premier League teams that could definitely use a player that can play in a multitude of positions. Like you say, he can play a little bit deeper for, for Senegal. Like most players um, or most African players, when they play for their national team, they play in a, a bit of more of an attacking position. Um, and he's a player that can just do a bit of everything. And he showed that he has an eye for gold as well. So excited to see where he goes. But similar uh, to previous players we mentioned, such as Simon Adingra, he can go right to the very top because he's got so many qualities. And you know what as well? It's interesting. I watched the podcast. I watched John A. McKell's uh, podcast. No, I, actually, no, it was Rio Ferdinand with Jose Mourinho and he was talking about African players um, and about how they just bring a different dynamic and it's unquantifiable what it is, um, whether it's the combination of physicality mixed with technical ability that they can refine when they move to top European leagues. But Lamin Kamara is definitely somebody who has that. And if he does pick the right club next, he, he's a player that can can go and win not only just the, the biggest club honours, but the biggest individual honours because he's got a bit of everything in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Lamin Kamara is definitely a, a one to watch and, and certainly a name for the future. Um, and is is just is so incredibly scouted podcast coded it has to be said um, he is he's he's just uh, he's he could be a poster boy if we were still doing the handbooks he'd be a, he'd be a prime candidate for a front cover uh, let's just say that way but um sort of more onto the 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 lesser known um or rather the lesser covered uh, african nations at, at this this tournament this year um and and cape verde obviously had a very very good group stage i mean they had a great tournament if we're being honest um, you know, topped their group with with Egypt and Ghana. Um, you know, conceding the fewest goals in that group, um, which I think is is very much easier said than done. Um, and at the heart of their defence, they had uh, a young Toulouse defender, 22 years old, Logan Costa, uh, playing in the central uh, central defence. Um, and I can't say I'd watched very much of him. I watched uh, Toulouse uh, versus Union Saint Gilles in the um, Europa League this season, but again, wasn't aware that there was a young. Uh, defender, you know, playing for Cape Verde in there. Um, but what kind of I came away with from from watching the clip from from Afcon this year was, you know, decent ball carrier, um, aerially very good as well. You know, he might not be someone who's who's you know going up and winning sort of like six aerial duels per game, but when he does go up for it, he is competitive, and more often than not, um, he's he's coming out on top. Um, Again, good to see that sort of level of physicality at such a young age. You know, from a scouting perspective, it's what you look out for immediately from sort of 16, 17 up. You know, does this player have the physical edge on on his peers and his opponents? Um, and, and you know, being able to contribute so substantially to um, a, a quite historic sort of performance for a country of, you know, Cape Verde size at AFCON. Um what, are we, what was your reading of, of their performance in general? What was your, re, your, your reading of, of Costa at this tournament? I mean, they're, they're, they're a country which I think, you know, given this is an English language podcast, not many people who, who listen will be too familiar with them. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's the beauty of AFCON. It's the beauty of these tournaments where they are able to showcase themselves um, on the world stage. And, yeah, they did a, a great job of it up until, you know, being eliminated by, by South Africa. 
They did. Um, and if you look at Cape Verde side, I got to see him firsthand. They were in Ghana's group. Unfortunately, beat Ghana in the, in the first <laughs> game in that group. Uh, players like Gary Rodriguez, Ryan Mendes and Bebe maybe took the headlines. But if you look at a player like Logan Costa, went under the radar. But if you look, you're surveying the landscape when it comes to European football, there's not there's a dearth of centre-back talents. And so when you see somebody emerge, like he emerged at the tournament, you, you take notice. And like you say, physically, he's there. Um, technically, he, he can play a bit. I don't necessarily think passing out the back is his strongest point. But I just thought the, the partnership with Roberto Lopez was interesting. Roberto Lopez, who, by the way, was born in Ireland, plays for Shamrock Rovers right now, um, is at the other end of his career in comparison to Costa. That partnership was integral to, to Kate Verde progressing deep into this tournament. And like you say, defensively, they were very, very resolute. Didn't concede many goals. And that partnership of Roberto Lopez and Logan, and Logan Costa was a huge reason why Kate Verde got to where they got to. Um, but in terms of Logan Costa, similar to yourself, I hadn't seen any of him. Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I watched much of Toulouse um, this season, but he's a player that's played significant minutes at such a young age at such a significant position as well um, this season. And with the progress and the confidence that he can he can take from having such a successful Afghan, there will be eyes on him now. It, it remains to be seen how well he'll play till the end of the season. But he impressed me when I saw him play against Ghana. He gave up, he didn't give our forwards a, a sniff, um, and his ability to deal with the physicality of Afghan, where things are just a little bit quicker because it's more frantic. He really, really impressed me, and it's a player that I want to keep my eye on. And that's the beauty of going to cover these tournaments in person and watching these people or these players up close and personal. You get to see players that you wouldn't have ordinarily looked out for um, or wouldn't have taken note of. But he's a player that has a high potential and has a has a great future if he continues to, to play like how we played at the tournament. But again, he's a player that I was not aware of before the tournament, but I'm certainly aware of now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, again, another name to to keep tabs on because again, French football, the league of talents, as it's uh, self-professed, um, is is you know it's it's a pipeline again um, for for those. I don't know, maybe the, the big four leagues. Um, if you if you're counting sort of Liga as as the fifth or sixth biggest in Europe, but um, I mean we've we've sort of led on the the sort of the suggestions that I've had, but you were the man on the ground there. I mean, who who which teams, which which stories, which players really stood out to you aside from from the ones that, that we've already covered, Kweku? It's a tough one because I was so invested in the story of Ivory Coast. I went to the majority of their games. Um, and so they're the team that I took note of the most. And I'll try and think of one apart from the teams that we've already mentioned. But whilst I'm thinking of that, a player that I've got an unhealthy obsession with is Seko Fafana. <laughs> I'm trying to work out if I think he's really good or, or just or just suited to, to African football because he's a player that was integral to everything that Ivory Coast did. If you sat in stadium and you listened to fans, he was the fan favourite. Um, but the way he played football just intrigues me. Obviously, you remember um, him from his time um, playing, playing in France. He's now playing his football uh, in Saudi Arabia, but he's a player that has a unique style of play and and the way he receives the ball is different. He's still only 28 years old, so maybe off the back of this tournament, European sides who are looking for a midfielder of physicality uh, might take a look at him. Um, but he's a player that just intrigued me. And do you know when you just have a player that you just have an obsession with and you're looking at mm -hmm. to see if they if they are the real deal or if they are just suited to the way that the football is um, at this tournament, he's a player that definitely took my eye. Um, trying to think of other players that really stood out to me. We haven't talked about him again. It's a tapping, but Victor Osman's an interesting one. He's just not there yet. He's not there yet. If you look at like 
the hype and the fanfare that he had before the tournament, it was a lot. And he was asked to do different things for this Nigeria side. Uh, Joseph Pizarro switched up his formation, moved to a three at the back formation for Nigeria's second game after they drew their first game against Equatorial Guinea. And that kind of hampered the hampered his tournament in terms of Osman scoring goals. He had to do a lot of the dirty work for his team. But if you just look at the physicality, you, you look at Osman, you're like, oh, he's a player that's big and he's physical. But when you see him up close his personal, he's not much taller than me. I'm I'm five, ten and a half. Um, so he's a player that maybe at 27, 28, 29 is a player that will really come come into his own. But at the moment, if you're a big team in Europe looking for a striker and you're going to spend big money, I just caution against spending 100 mil plus on a player like Victor Osman because I don't know who, if he guarantees you goals at the highest level in any league. In certain systems that work around him, like the Napoli system last season that was perfect for him, he's going to get you goals. But in terms of translating that to a league like the Premier League or to, to a top Spanish club, I don't know if he's necessarily a banker and a guarantee to score you goals at the, the highest level just yet. I think he'll get there but he's a player that maybe needs to grow into himself a little bit more needs to maybe understand the game a little bit more before he becomes one of those elite elite strikers that you know will guarantee you goals no matter what system you put them in well, I mean, I think there might be a French club who might want to, to take your advice on that one. <laughs> yeah. you, should, uh, you should invoice them for a consultancy fees there. Um, but I mean, he, he and it's interesting what you say about you know certain systems because you know the term system player is thrown around a lot, and again, there is no doubting that, that Victor Osimhen is is one of the best strikers in in sort of world football in terms of the the way that he is currently playing and, and has been for the past 18, 24 months. Um, it would be interesting to see him test himself at, you know, uh, uh, a Premier League level um, or, you know, in La Liga, for example, because I, I do I do share to an extent, I do share the, your opinion there that, I mean, having watched a little bit of Nigeria at AFCON, there was, I don't know, there was just, from my perspective, there was a little bit of yearning to see that Napoli version of Osimhen. And I know that he had to do different things for the team. I know that him... You know, maybe doing a little bit more of the dirty work allowed other players like Adamola Luckman to shine um, and, and you know, find himself among the goals more often. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you were sort of looking at this tournament before going into it thinking, right, you know, Nigeria, decent enough squad, great options. Um, Osimhen obviously playing really, really well, you know, a title winner with Napoli. Surely, you know, he's, he's up there for sort of golden boot possibilities and I mean, don't get me wrong, Emilio and Sue winning the Golden Boot is an absolutely fantastic <laughs> story. Um, but uh, you, 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 I don't know, you, you were kind of just left with that. I kind of wanted a bit more from, from Osimhen here. And again, tournament football isn't the be-all and end-all. You know, you look at, I mean, there, there will be countless examples of, you know, world-beating players who have maybe gone to a World Cup or an AFCON or a Euros or, or somewhere and just maybe not been at it. You know, think of the, the France team of 2002. I mean, you, you you would have been very well placed before that World Cup to say, oh, yeah, you know, Thierry Henry will be, will be golden boot winner. Obviously, didn't get out of the group. Um, obviously, famously beaten by that Senegal team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, 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 just, I just felt like I wanted a little bit more from Osimhen at this tournament. Um, and you know what? If, they'd, if Nigeria had won, I mean, we're getting away from the fact that Nigeria did actually get to the final there. And for, I mean, half an hour looked as though they were on their way to, to another AFCON title. So, um, yeah, there's part of me is like, well, you know, maybe he played that sort of Olivier Giroud role at the at the World Cup uh, when France won. Um, but then another part of me is like, 
nah, I, I want to be greedy. I want I want some awesome end goals. I want some yeah. some highlight real football. Um, but it makes for an interesting debate, doesn't it? So um, at the very least, we've we've got that. Exactly. Um, and if you look at Osimhen's hero in Didier Drogba, he's got such a close relationship with him. He didn't necessarily perform at AFCON. He never won an AFCON. He missed a penalty in the final against Zambia in 2012, the same year that he helped Chelsea win the Champions League. So it's a it's a tournament that it doesn't it doesn't pander to stars. Like it doesn't suffer it doesn't suffer fools. Like AFCON's a completely different kettle of fish when it comes to superstars trying to perform at the highest level. Um, and we saw Mo Salah struggle. We saw Osman struggle. We saw the superstars really struggle at this tournament. It's not an indictment on him as a player, but do you know when you're just watching somebody up close and personal, it's like, oh, you just, you've got a few more things to, to add to your game before you're really at that top level. But I, I have no doubt that he will get there. And selfishly, as a football fan, I want to see the superstar shine. I wanted to see him score goals. Um, and he, 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 he couldn't really do that in this, in this more pragmatic Nigeria side that were difficult to beat. Um, but I do think that come two, three seasons time, he will be that finished article and he will be able to, to consistently perform at the level that his country needs him to perform at and any club that he plays for because he's a player that's got bundles of ability. I remember seeing him when he was playing in France and he he, he, he stood out because of his physicality, because of his eye for goal. But again, he's probably a player that needs to just to take time and develop aspects of his game to become that well-rounded striker that any team in the world would be happy to have lead the line. Absolutely. Um, before we finish, uh, is there is there any other uh, storyline? Is there any other any other team or player that you're you're really keen to to sort of discuss? Because um, yeah, coming up on the forty five minute mark, uh, I mean, I think we could honestly go for and, and cover every Afghan team in depth. Um, but we want to keep it nice and concise. Concise. Um, what was the what what's the final final story of, of this Afghan for for you? You've got to shine light on sort of the teams that made it to the semi-finals um, in DR Congo and more specifically South Africa. Um, Hugo Bruce, their manager, won AFCON before with Cameroon. Um, it's a pragmatic side. Most of the team is playing for Mamelo these Sundowns in South Africa. It's an aging side. But when you look at how they came together and how they were just difficult to beat, got some notable wins against Morocco in the in the tournament. And Tapelo Maseko, who's a rising star of South African football, plays for Mamelodi Sundowns as well, can play in a multitude of positions across the front line. Um, the majority of appearance, majority of appearances came off the bench. He's a player that I'm just watching. Again, I don't know if he's going to go and, and reach the highest heights in football, but do you know when the player just catches your eyes? Like, oh, you're only 20 years old and you can do you can do loads of things on the football pitch. You've got a decent touch. You, you've got decent physicality as well. So Thapelo, uh, Thapelo Maseko is a player that just took my eye. Do you know when someone just catches your eye just mm. because they do some things on the pitch? So look out for him. Maybe he won't achieve the things that I think he can achieve, but he just definitely caught my eye. And uh, Usmani Diomande as well for for Ivory Coast in defensive midfield, 20 years old. Um, people have talked about him already in terms of going right to the very top. And he's a player that, again, you get lost in the story of Ivory Coast because there are so many narratives, but he's a player that definitely pressed me as well. Yeah, Usman Diamande is, um, is is definitely a player that uh, we, we've sort of got our eyes on. Is the, the scouted radars, uh, the scouted sights are certainly trained on on him um, and and uh, is, is exploited at Sporting because... I think yeah, you're, you're right. You know, an, an Ivory Coast team that did you know do well in a, in attack and was obviously spearheaded by Haller. That story, you know, Adingra is the the rising star of this team. Um, you know, it, maybe it's easy sometimes to to forget that there are players like you know twenty year old Usman Diomande at the back who you know has has come from. I mean, I think as recently as twenty twenty was still playing 
in Ivory Coast, mm-hmm. um, you know, moved to, to FC Midtjylland in, in Denmark um, and immediately moved to, to, to sporting um, in, I think it was 2023 after a, a loan spell in, in the sort of the, the lower leagues in Portugal. Um, he is, is someone who, again, you look at the, the, the mix of, of physical and technical attributes and you've, you've got yourself a, a, a real concoction there for, for a, for a big, a big, big player. Um, and I'm just reading here, Diamandis' release clause was set at 80 million euros. So if you've got that down the back of the sofa, um, get yourself in there <laughs> early because um, he's, he's definitely another one who's going right to the top. Um, yeah. But yeah, quickly, thank you very much for, for joining me on the, the Scouted podcast. Can't really remember too many better scouted debuts, but um, I guess you know, that you've, you've got a, a fantastic AFCON to, to thank for that. Um, where, can, where can people find you, find your work? Where can they watch you? Where can they listen to you? Um, yeah, give give them the lowdown. Um, so yeah, you can find me on socials. All my socials are Kwaku underscore Afari. So K-W-E-K-U underscore Afari, A-F-A-R-I. That's on Instagram, that's on Twitter or X. Um, and on TikTok as well. I'll make a few TikToks despite my age. Um, and yeah, you can hear me on TalkSport. You can hear me on Sky Sports. I, I make my, I make appearances here, there and everywhere. But yeah, just make sure you follow me on socials. And and the AFCON content has stopped, but there'll be more content to come when it comes to Premier League football, when it comes to European football. So yeah, check me out on socials and, and I'll, I'll I'll be talking more football between now and the end of the season. Too right, yeah. This man does not rest. Let me tell you, uh, he is he is absolutely everywhere, and he's excellent at it as well. Uh, thank you very much for for joining me on the uh, Scouted podcast. Uh, we'll be back again with Scouted Weekly uh, as your weekly roundup show, and then some uh, some more one to one interview episodes over the coming weeks and months. Um, but yeah, this has been the Scouted podcast with me, Joe Donahue, uh, covering uh, the Africa Cup of Nations 2024. Bye for now. The Scouted Podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up-and-coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com.